Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. I am John O'Leary, and I am so happy to have you joining me here on the Live Inspired Movement. On every Live Inspired podcast, I have amazing guests join me to share their story, their successes, their failures, their lessons. Yes, their life. You will absolutely hear profound and unforgettably inspiring stories. But more importantly, my friends, you will take away real ideas to apply in your own life. Now, my goal here is to have guests on this show that will inspire you, yes, you, to choose to wake up from accidental living so that you can do, you can be, you can achieve, and you can impact even more through your life. Maybe more simply said, so that you can live inspired. Today's guest will help you do exactly that, and she'll help you do it specifically if you are open to it as it relates to relationships and specifically in relationships around parenting. Our guest today is a physician named Meg Meeker. Dr. Meg Meeker has been encouraging parents as a pediatrician for decades and has begun writing books, speaking around the country, beginning her own podcast and touching lives deeply. As you listen to the show, you're going to hear a whole lot of takeaways, whether you are a parent or you just happen to be a son, a daughter, an employee, a leader at work, a leader at life, whatever it may be. What we know is that relationships matter and that being intentional in these relationships will matter. So on the front side of this episode, I want to give you a couple things to be looking and listening for before Meg steps on. Meg encourages parents and leaders to enjoy their kids or their nephews, their nieces, their coworkers more. Don't take them for granted, but to really enjoy the gifts of these relationships, the gift of these moments. She's written seven books. They're phenomenal books on how to be a better hero to your sons, to your daughters, to the friends, the leaders around you in the community. She's going to encourage you on this episode to let your kids know that you want their company. That's so important, to let your little ones know that you want to be with them. You don't have to take them to practice. And if you don't have children, that's okay. Listen anyway, because it's going to inspire you to let the people around you and your life to know that you want their company. She'll give you some ideas and takeaways specifically on how to do that. She herself has raised four kids. Three of them were daughters. She's gone through medical school. She's got an incredible story. And I'm going to let you know, though, not only does she have an incredible story, She's incredibly busy. She's a writer, podcast host. She's also, like I said earlier, the mother. And on the day we connected, she took the call from the hospital. You'll hear the phone ring in the background. You'll hear the pager going off. You're going to hear craziness happening around her. But this is her life. And if we're honest about it, it's also our life. And yet in the midst of the busyness, Meg found time to slow down. And to be present with us on this podcast, it's a good one. You're going to enjoy it. I'm excited to bring it to you. So are you ready for it? You ready for Meg? My friends, please welcome to the Live Inspired Movement, my friend, Meg Meeker. Thanks for having me. You know, you're one of my favorite people. 
And I've never told you that, but you are because you inspire me. You have such a very different perspective on life and outlook on life. And I, and I envy you that. And I, and I want what you have. So I love having the opportunity to talk to you. Well, I appreciate that. You're reading the script exactly like I typed it up and sent it your way. So you, you're the perfect <laughs> right, yeah. guest so far, Dr. Big. Oh, so aren't you sweet. For those yeah. who don't know, we, we have a relationship that, that is bonded together through Dave Ramsey. Tell yeah. our followers how you got to meet Dave Ramsey. Oh, oh gosh. Many, many years ago, uh, I wrote a book called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters oh, about 10 years ago. And you know, John, I wrote it because it was in my heart. Uh, it wasn't one of those books that I thought, this is really important. People need to know it. Um, I just thought I really wanted to do something to talk about my relationship with my dad and how big he was in my life and so on and so forth. So I wrote the book, sort of threw it out there. And um, probably four or five months after the book came out, my, my uh, publisher called me and said, you know, I've been watching ratings on your book, and every time some guy in Nashville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. talks about it on the air, um, you know, your ratings go up. Would you want to go and meet him and talk with him? And then, of course, was Dave Ramsey. And so I feel like I owe Dave a lot. You know, unbeknownst to me, he picked up my red my book, read my book. He said it kind of rocked his world, which was a real shock to me. Mm-hmm. And that's how our friendship started. And it's just been growing and growing ever since. And um, so, but we also found we're kind of bonded because he has a heart for teaching people how to manage their money. And, mm-hmm. um, and I have a heart for encouraging parents to enjoy their kids more. And um, so we both were kind of co-teachers teaching different topics. That's really how our friendship began, and then of course that's how you and I met because I got to hear you speak. So um, yeah, but, but we're, we we enjoy a great friendship. He's a very very good man. He's he's the real deal. You know what you I see do. is what you get, and I like people like that. Well, and and Meg, that's we only bring on people like that on the show. I, I love people with strong platforms and great messages, but if their heart isn't aligned with both, then uh, they're not the kind of individual you want to have on the show. And it's exactly, exactly. why you our guest today. We're excited to hear about uh, about your life story, about what you're up to today. So why don't we begin right now with what you do today? I mean, you're, you're a busy, yeah. busy lady. Tell the folks who may not yet be aware of, of oh, yeah. Meg Meeker who, who you are and what you do. Well, I, I guess it's a dangerous place to go into my mind, but uh, you're with me, so we'll go there. <laughs> um, I, I do a lot of stuff. You know, I, I my husband and I have raised four kids together. We've been here 35 years, which is I can't believe it. I don't feel old enough to have been um, married that long. We have three daughters and a son. Um, the baby is the son. He's 24. Our three daughters are married, and um, and they live, uh, our girls live fairly close to us. Um, we live in northern Michigan, and uh, three of our daughters live fairly close. I have two grandkids and two on the way, mm-hmm. um, and um, and and. I, I'm really busy. I have a, a pediatric practice. My husband and I started a pediatric practice in 1990 together. And we moved to northern Michigan because we kind of wanted a mom and a pop shop. We wanted to be able to do what we want with our patients. We wanted to be able to talk to them the way we wanted. If they had a faith, we wanted to be able to pray. We didn't want anybody sort of telling us how we had to run the practice. So we started our practice in 1990, and today we have um, – Oh, gosh, I don't know how many thousand patients. We have seven doctors. Mm-hmm. He and I are the senior people. And about 15 years ago, when um, 
I saw as our girls were teenagers, they were growing up, I was very disturbed by the over-sexualization that was happening to, to kids, you know, Abercrombie and Fitch and so things like that. So I began giving little lectures around town about the harm this was doing to our kids, you know, and why it wasn't okay for young kids to be exposed to sexual innuendo over and over and over and over again. And honestly and truly, John, when I was lecturing, literally a publisher was sitting in the office one day and her mouth dropped open and said, is this true what you're telling me? All the the bad things that can happen to kids? And I said, yeah. And so she published a book. So I started into the writing realm about 15 years ago. And as my kids have gotten older and left home, my husband and I are empty nesters, I really just sort of let it rip. I, I just I travel a lot and speak, mm-hmm. and my my whole my whole my whole heart is to really encourage parents to enjoy parenting, to simplify parenting, and um, to just enjoy their kids. And so, a lot of what I do today is I, I practice medicine in my office um, part time, and I and I travel a fair amount and speak at different groups. And I write. I'm working on another book. Um, How many books will that be now, Meg? That'll be number seven, actually. This, the one in the spring will be actually number seven. It's called Hero, um, Being the Strong Father Your Children Need. Because I'm really trying to encourage dads to engage their kids because we have all this awesome data now that shows how fathers who are engaged with their kids, you know, their kids test higher on IQ tests. They have better self-esteem and Fathers have kind of been lost in the shuffle, I think, with a lot that's been going on in our culture. So one of my, you know, real heart's desires now is to encourage dads to really engage their kids because kids do so much better. Well, Megan, it's, it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. Selfishly, I'm, I'm here to grow myself, and I know a mm-hmm. whole lot of other dads, moms, and people just, just who have hearts for kids that have – uh, holes in their battery that we know we can do a better job. And, and I'd love you to help us do exactly that. But sometimes before we can take a step forward, you got to take a step back. And I'd love to hear a little bit of your story, Meg. I think everybody's got a story. It's just not the story we're telling the world. Where, where did you grow up? Tell me what your experience was like as a kid. Oh, sure. Um, you know, uh, I grew up outside of Boston, and my father was a physician. He was a very quiet, kind of eccentric man. You know, it's funny. People read Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters and think, oh, I had this perfect dad who did everything right. And that's far from the truth. I had a great dad. But he had a lot of holes in his battery, as you said. Mm-hmm. You know, he had a lot of real serious issues he was grappling with. I grew up outside of Boston. I had three siblings, a sister and two brothers, a stay-at-home mom. Um, and... I worked hard in school, and when I was about 16, I decided, you know, um, my dad had introduced me to a friend of his who was a surgeon who kind of said, you know, operating on people is just the best thing in the whole wide world. And Mm -hmm. this man sort of showed, would bring me around and teach me about medicine. And and that's how I kind of got turned on to medicine. And and, um, once I decided I was going to go, I was pretty singularly focused. I was one of those sort of nerdy kids without a social life, you know, that was just me, but that's what I wanted. I just, it was like this fire in me, you know, that I really wanted to be in a profession where I was helping people. So I grew up and um, had a good relationship with both of my parents. And as I said, you know, there's a lot of big mistakes that both my mom and my dad made, but there are a lot of big things they got right. And 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 as I've gotten older, I, I've really just tried to focus on the big things they got right. Mm-hmm. 
and and you know and and my dad gave me um the sense that I could do anything because he believed in me. You know, he didn't pour on a lot of sort of syrupy platitudes or go, oh, you're the best at everything you do. He never did that. Um, but he said, you know, you, you can. If you work hard, you can do whatever you want. And, um, and so I, that really just sort of sank deep into my heart. And my mom was always a good encourager. So, but I kind of got beaten up a, a, a lot. You know, I, my grades were okay in college, and I got um, hey, Dr. May, b- first- b- before you even got into college, g- give me, because I got a bunch of little kids. My oldest is 11, my youngest is 5, and okay. there's two in between. What's something that in that time window, 5 to 11, that your parents really got right? Oh, um, my dad on Saturday mornings would, would – um, take me down to he worked in boston downtown and he had an office and on saturday morning probably once a month he would take me down to his office and he would do his work and i would just sit in his office and i'd spin in his big chair Mm -hmm. i'd wait he'd talk to his friends and then afterwards he and i would go down and we would go to this little cafe and i would drink milk and have a pastry and he would eat something I don't know what if he even talked during that time. Right. I don't know what we said, but you know what? Those moments made me feel larger than life because my dad took me into his world. I didn't understand his world. I didn't even care about it. But the fact that my dad took a Saturday morning to, right. to do something with me made me feel so big and special and loved. And that's the thing, John any father can do. It really is about just letting your young kids know you want their company. Mm-hmm. Because kids feel like, um, you know, and, and here's one of the big mistakes parents make. We think that kids really need other kids and they need peers. They don't. They just want to know that they're the apple in someone's eye. And if they believe they're the apple in their father's eyes, um, and that can, can be communicated by a you don't have to do it every day. Probably don't do it every day, but right. once or twice a month, you know. But that changed who I became. I remember specifically as 11 years old and, um, and uh, you know, one of those mornings, a Saturday morning, my dad and I would, would, would go down. And, you know, I, I think today, John, if I could walk back into that little coffee shop where he would take me, it would probably be a dingy little hole in the right. wall somewhere in a dangerous neighborhood um and i think what is special about this but to me oh it was just the sweetest spot in the whole wide world and it, there's a funny thing that happens with girls with their dads and i don't know if this happens with boys you would be able to talk about that because you were a boy with your dad and that is when a dad does something with a daughter like you know take her out on saturday mornings if a father does it and she has a great experience, he does it five times a year, she will grow up and tell people her dad did it with her every single weekend, <laughs> right. every year of her life, because it becomes magnified in your mind. You know, it's something you felt like well, it was so big to you at the time. You feel like you did it all the time, but you didn't. So that's great news for parents out there. And my my father, a very busy professional, but he would take me downtown St. Louis, Missouri, Maybe once a year. It was not often. But looking back on it as a kid, I felt like it was all the time. We would yeah. go up into the clouds, 27 stories up. I'd look down at the ants. My dad would do his work. And it was the time of my life. Yeah. And yeah. You're, you're exactly right, Dr. Meg. You, you do. And I think that parents feel 
Um, and I, my parents, I don't think, felt this because I think parents back in that day, they weren't reading a lot of parenting books. They were just doing the best they could and trying to get by, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. life was busier in a lot of ways. So they didn't have fast food restaurants and all that. So I think that parents feel a real burden that they need to entertain their kids. They need to make life so special and sweet and lovely and wonderful. And they don't. It's It's so simple, you know. Take your child to work with you for a couple hours once a month, and that can change your child's world. Just let them know you want their company. And I think that in the midst of my dad's brokenness and the problems he had and the difficulties he had, and he had a horrible temper, and I was, you know, and his temper would flare periodically. But as I got older, all those good moments sort of, yes. um, you know, they, they, they sort of made the, the bad stuff just kind of fade into the background because the, the, the moments of good really will outweigh the, the times of bad if a child knows a parent is really loving them and doing the best they can. So, Meg, thank you for sharing all that. And, and now take us back to where we left off. You're, you're now in college and you're pretty committed to becoming yes. a, a physician. Yes, yes. So, so I went to college. I studied really hard. I didn't do anything crazy like college kids do. You know, my friends did, but I had one goal, go to medical school, because I just felt that was something I was born to do. And uh, after I sent off all my applications, every single application came back with a, no, thank you. Um, We have other people in mind. And I really, at 21, thought my life was over because I had no plan B. And I remember I went back to my parents' house and I was staying there figuring, okay, now what do I do? I graduated college. This is all I all I wanted to do. And I I went out and I'd gone for a jog. I came back in my house and I overheard my dad talking on the telephone in um, in his study. And I thought, this is kind of odd. My dad's not a phone person, but I heard my name, him say my name on the phone. And I listened outside and out, outside the door and I heard my dad say, yeah, my daughter Meg will be going to medical school in the next couple of years. And I thought, what? You know, what, what does he yes. know that I don't have a clue about? And, but, but John, when I heard the tone in his voice, he was so convinced I was going to get there. It, 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 you know, it just rocked me. It really did. And I thought, wow, if my dad believes that so much that he's telling his good friend in confidence that I'm going to do it, man, I'm going to do it. And that changed my whole perspective. I got back up. I did more applications. I tried a year later. And sure enough, you know, I got into med school. But the interesting thing is my, my dad doesn't even remember having that phone conversation or saying that. And, and Meg, I'm curious, if, if you had not overheard that conversation, do you think you are where you are today? Or do you think it was just a matter of time and that may have sped you up a little bit? You know, I think I probably would have gotten to where I am today, but it would have taken a lot longer. But I don't, I think that was one of those providential moments where, you know, God sort of intervenes and said, okay, this is what you need to hear right now. So I'm going to have you, I'm not big on believing in coincidence and things like that. I really believe that I heard him say that at that moment in time for a real purpose, you know, and there are a handful of moments in your life, you know, that are just, you know, they're too supernatural or whatever, but, you know, and, but hearing that from my dad um, gave me so much confidence and, and you know as well as I, John, it doesn't matter how old you are. Yes. No, but no, nobody has great, great self-esteem. We're all, we all kind of wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and go, seriously? I mean, yes. Really? You know? Well, I'm, and, I'm and, 40 today, and, and <clears throat> when I talk to my mom or dad and they pay me a compliment, 
even as a 40-year-old guy with four kids in my own business and show and everything else, uh, that praise uh, or the challenge, sometimes they call the challenge me on something. It, it means so. I'm still their child. At age 40, exactly. I'm still their baby, and it still matters. It does. It does because your parent is always your parent because your relationship with them started when very different than your relationship with your wife because you you come into the relationship as equal peers. But with a parent, it's very different. And I would tell you every time and still to this day when I'm feeling insecure and you've written books, you know what it's like. You, you, you're at the start of a book and you go, really, I have nothing to say. Yes. I really have nothing to say. And people who don't write books need to understand authors struggle so yeah. much. That blank page is painful. Oh, it's painful. 300 blank pages is even more pain. You think, I have nothing to say. I can't do this. But you've signed this contract with a publisher and you've got deadlines. And so it's not like we just sit down and all this beautiful stuff just flows out of us. You know, sometimes it happens, but usually not. But it's always a a sort of a crisis of, you know, confidence and and faith and self-esteem. But I, I would hear my father's voice saying, I know you can do this. I know you can do this. And um, and, the, and and my, my father years ago, but I still, you know, that voice, it still is with me and it, and it just sort of propels me forward in a way where nobody else can give me that kind of confidence. And so, you know, parents, that's why I just love to advocate for parents because I really believe parents have no clue about how much power they have in their kids' lives um, because I think if they did, they would relax more yes. and they would enjoy their kids more and they would go, I got this. Well, you know? You're a parent yourself, May. Tell me about where you met your co-parent, your husband. Ah, I met my husband um, when I, my, my first day of medical school, actually, this is very embarrassing. It's about, but Dave, I've told Dave Ramsey the story, never publicly though. He laughs, <laughs> laughs and laughs and always threatens he's going to make it public. But I was actually engaged to another fellow when I met my husband. And um, I, I'd been engaged for about a year, went off to med school, and he didn't think going to medical school was such a great idea. But I said, well, but I'm going to go anyway. And, and I literally was walking. John, this is so embarrassing. I was walking down the hall. I saw my husband coming at me. I slipped my ring in my pocket, and I, it was honestly love at first sight. I know it's corny and goofy, but uh, nine months later, we were married. Oh and gosh. that was that. I know. That it, it, I was so fickle, but it was you know kind of meant to be. But we met and went through med school together, and and um, I was young, twenty three, and then we just started a family a couple of years later, and and there you go. That was thirty five years ago. So you're um, both pediatricians. Yes, we're, we're pediatricians. He's an internist and a pediatrician. Uh-huh. Um, and and we love working together. It's funny. People say, how in the world do you work together? And I said, you know, working together is the easy part. What's really hard is parenting kids together because, you know, we, we have different parenting styles. And um, and uh, but we work very well together because, you know, he does his thing and I do my thing. And medicine is an art and we do things a little differently. And some people like me and some people like him. And that's just fine. So. But it's very much a partnership. You know, we really, um, we understand each other really well. We we kind of give each other some grace and some latitude. And, um, yeah, it's, it, it's been hard. But, but uh, yeah, but I'll tell you, it gets easier as you get older because you let go of so much stuff that 
you, you argued about that is so insignificant anyway. Well, and I'm curious, you know, being a physician is full-time work. Being a business owner and a physician is full-time work. Being married is hard. Having kids yeah. is challenging. You're doing all these things. What's something you can share with us that allowed your husband and you to get through those rocky times? What's a one little a key that you guys stayed focused on that allowed you yeah. to come through the storms that everybody deals with? Um, we refused to quit. We just refused to quit. And I remember days, John, where neither one of us really wanted to be married to each other um, because life was really hard and we'd argue and we'd get very self-centered. You know, when you start off on that journey of marriage, all you're thinking about is what you need and what you want. Hmm. And if this person's giving it to you and if they're meeting your expectations, well, that sets you up for failure because nobody can meet your expectations. But I think that was the two of us, and I will say I, I really give it more to my husband. My my husband w- just would say, look, you can think and do whatever you want, but we are never, ever splitting up. That's just the way it is. And um, once we determined that we were going to be that committed, we just – and sometimes, John, you just have to say, I'm committed, I'm not going to leave, and you wait it out. Mm-hmm. You just wait it out because – what you people don't realize is that over time you change whether you want to or whether you don't. And so nothing bad stays that bad forever because time goes on. So sometimes if you just wait and you stay where you are, life gets better with your spouse. Um, and I've seen that. Oh, that's a, that's a phenomenon I've seen in many, many, many of my friends' marriages and lives over the years is that you know, you ebb and it ebbs and it flows, and it has a life of its own, no matter what you decide to do with it. Dr. Meg, you have been a physician for how long? Oh, my. Uh, let's see, 30-some years. Well, so, yeah, I graduated, so probably 34, 36 or 7 years, yeah. Okay, so three and a half decades. And as you see yeah. these parents and these sick little ones coming into your office, what, what changes have you been noticing over the last almost four decades as you round up? Yeah, that's a pretty easy one. Parents are so worried. They worry and obsess about everything because there's a lot of information at their disposal and a lot of it's really bad information on the Internet. There are bloggers out there blogging about all sorts. and, And the problem is if somebody says something three or four or five times, it becomes true in their minds, whether it is or not. And I think that's a real crisis we have in our culture. We see it in the news industry. You know, we don't know what's true and what isn't true that people are telling us because people just say things over and over. Well, if you declare over and over that, um, you know, 50% of babies die at childbirth, somebody's yeah. going to believe it's that. A fact. It, it becomes a fact. And, and as a physician, what I find is parents worry about so much. They want so desperately to be a great mom or a great dad and they overread and they overtry, and they're they're exhausting important energy on really stupid stuff because it doesn't matter, and 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 it's robbing they have with their children. So a lot of the energy that I have, or the, a lot of what I do as a pediatrician, is really try to dis- diffuse some of that fear 
that fear-based parenting, I can't immunize my children because of this. I can't have the wrong car seat because of this. I can't allow my child to have a stuffed animal in his crib because of this. And it's, and it's all this fear. You talk about that. And that's what I love. You, you know, you told me uh, quite a while ago, and I know your listeners have heard this, you know, don't, don't live as though you're afraid to die, you know, live, live it, however you say it much better than that, but don't just avoid death right. in yes. your living. And that's what I see parents doing, trying desperately to avoid death and hardship for their children. And it just takes all the, the joy out of it. Well, help, help me as a dad of four and uh, help our listeners, whether they have children who are middle-aged or uh, maybe they don't have any kids at all. Yeah. But they have cousins and nephews and nieces and children they see in the drive through McDonald's. Help us understand how we can shift from fear-based parenting and in so many regards, leadership, to yeah. faith, to being vibrant, to being alive, to being focused on possibility, to becoming someone else's hero. Help yeah. us make yeah. that shift. Well, I think that, first of all, you need to shift your perspective of yourself in your kids' eyes. And one of the things I try to do is help parents see who they are through their kids' eyes. So if a child is sitting in a car listening to mom or listening to dad, that child is looking at you thinking, what do they think about me? What do they like about me? Um, That child is looking to you for cues or clues about what you're thinking about them. And so recognize off the bat that the minute you walk into your child's room or into a room and your child is there, that child hangs on everything you say and do. And he doesn't want anything other than to know that you like being with him. So if you just stop focusing on what he's going to eat for dinner or what his grades are or what school he goes to and just let him know you want to be with him, you enjoy his company, that will totally shift your relationship with your child and and focus more on that and, and simplify things. You know, stop. I would even encourage parents to make a list, an exhaustive list of all the things they worry about with their kids and say, for today, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to worry about their grades or their soccer program or the bully at school or this kind of thing. I'm just going to worry about that tomorrow. But for today, I'm going to communicate to my child, I just like being with them. (laughs) And that's it. And do that for a day and then do it for another day and watch your your whole relationship with your child will change. I, I promise it'll change um, because the kids start to get that you're enjoying the bigger stuff in life and you're letting go of some of the really, really small stuff that just doesn't matter. Meg, it seems as we get farther and farther down the path of parenting our kids that our our friends in, uh, in this space are like we, sprinting from practice to practice, game to game, recital to recital. There's so little free time, so little face-to-face time, really. How, how do you yeah. help those of us who are so busy sprinting that we don't have time, we think, to slow down, pause, and just be belly-to-belly, eye-to-eye, heart-to-heart with our kids? Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, you need to, you need to ask yourself a question. So I've, I've got this fourth grader, and, um, they're, and I'm running them around everywhere, and they're spending about maybe 20 minutes a day face-to-face with me um, to realize that when that child goes off to college, they're not going to be doing that stuff anymore. So are you really willing to surrender your time with your child and your child's time with you for them to be off doing stuff that they're only going to do for a few years? So think about it. Every time you commit your child to an activity 
that takes him away from you. You're giving up his opportunity to be with you and develop his character. Because a child's character is developed when he's face-to-face with mom or dad. And I go into that in, in my books, too. It doesn't happen. It happens to some degree in a, in a ballet recital or in a music program or, you know, in choir or on a soccer field. But minuscule compared to being with a parent. And think back, as, as a child, when we think about our own childhood, what are the, what are the things that changed who we became? And you and I opened the podcast talking about things that changed me. My father taking me and walking with me, um, taking me to his office. The moments with parents and memories that you make with your child are the things that are going to create your child's character. And that's what they're going to remember as they grow up. They're not going to remember all this insane busyness. Hmm. So be tough enough to parent differently than all your friends and say, you know what, your kids can be on the ski team from 6 at night to 8 at night every every weeknight, but kids teaching them how to cook or doing crafts or going to play games or something, be bold enough to walk in a different direction because the because every parent says, oh, my life is out of control, yes. it's too busy, and I don't want it. Who scheduled well, it? Then, then change it. Yes. You know, have, have the gumption to say, you know what, you're not going to play soccer. Um, if you're supposed to go to Yale, um, you're going to get there whether you play soccer or not. So um, life is going to turn out just fine. But I'm going to be bold enough in my parenting to say, child, you need more time with me and less time with your peers and coaches. And I'll tell you one thing. If you look at a troubled teenager, um, and I've dealt with a lot of troubled teenagers, one of the first things that we do to get teenagers back on track is we get them to spend a lot of time with an adult. So if, if you had a troubled teen and you put them in a, in a halfway home or a, a, troubled, a school for troubled kids, one of the first things a good home would do would almost be to tie that kid to an adult mm-hmm. because that, that teenager's in trouble be, for, for one reason. They've, they haven't had enough time with um, an adult who loves them a lot. And and the remedy for ills for your children is more time, not less time. So that's where I feel very strongly parents can be bold enough to do that. And I have a number of my patients have been bold enough to do it. And I'm telling you, it just it it changes their it changes their relationships with their kids. Well, when you and I first met, I sat with six thousand of my nearest and dearest friends in Dallas, Texas, uh, sitting directly next to my wife. You took the, yeah. the microphone. And one of the things you shared that I actually wrote down and Beth and I both stared at each other is why is it that most parents parent to the lowest common denominator of their friends? Meaning if someone in third grade, one kid gets a smartphone, that every kid gets a smartphone. Or if one kid who's 14 uh, gets to drink, that everybody gets a drink. It's a very strange dynamic that we think just because Billy's mom or dad allows them to do this or that, that we ought to meet them on the soccer field or uh, with the phone or whatever else the technology piece might be. And your challenge to us then, this is two years ago, was to parent differently. Yeah, exactly. I mean, parent differently. We, we all worry about our kids falling prey to peer pressure. You know what, John? Kids don't have any problem compared to us. We're all, you know, parents have just jumped aboard the crazy train and they're just, it's going faster and faster and faster. Nobody wants to be on it. Their lives are out of control. They're all too busy, but nobody's got the gumption to sort of jump off and say, I'm going to, I'm going to do this, you know, but we all know deep in our hearts that the real joy 
comes from time spent at home working through issues and problems with your family, with your kids, or enjoying them or playing games with them. You know, life, life in, a, in a family unit is messy and sticky. But once you get through the messiness, that's when the joy comes. And the problem is a lot of parents don't want to deal with the messiness. They want somebody else like me or a professional to fix it and make it smooth so that life at home is okay. But you need to realize you just, you just need to be spending that time together, you know, learning about one another. And then, and then the, the good stuff comes on the other side. But you're absolutely right. Why in the world parent to the lowest common denominator? And this is what I see all the time with parents of teenagers regarding sexual activity with kids. They feel like, yeah, you know, my, my son is 16 or 17 and all boys do it, so I just better make sure he's okay. And I, and I never understood that kind of thinking. I thought, why would you assume that just because his peers are doing something that, that you have to accept that for your son? Raise the bar, you know, make it simple, make it better, and believe that your kids can have a better life than they do. Make, for those of us who say um, <laughs> it's it's almost too late to make the change, whether they're already part of uh, dangerous behaviors at this point, or we are already overscheduled and our kids love it that th- that's their yep. natural network now. They, it's all their friends who are on that team or that or another team. Uh, yep. How would you encourage those of us who are already down that path to kind of uh, take a different path? Pull back. I would find an opening in your week, uh, and I would do it. Uh, two openings a month, okay, a Saturday evening, a Saturday morning, sometime when your child is scheduled and you say, you know what, we're going to make a change. And on Saturday evenings, we're going to be all together as a family, or I'm going to take you, you know, say you have four kids, I'm going to take every Saturday evening or afternoon, I'm going to take one hour, two hours alone with this child, and we're going to do something. And I'm going to pull you away from the stuff you're doing. And then once you begin to see that there's a great reward in that one-on-one time you have with your kids. Then you're going to start to realize, gee whiz, you know, all the other time when I'm running you around um, is, is, it isn't strengthening our relationship at all. Once you start to see the good and the blessing and the joy of carving out time alone for one of your kids or even just as a family unit, how rich and good that is, you'll want to do it more and more and more. And um, I found this the hard way. My, my, one of our, my oldest daughter's 13, when she was 13, very strong-willed, and yes. we were overscheduled like everybody else. And um, she, you know, we were very strict about the way our kids could speak in the house. And I remember one day she told me, shut up, Mom. Well, I remember that was it. Life is over. And I told her, and every parent can, can just cringe, I said, okay, that's it. You're grounded for a month. And the minute the words came out of my mouth, I realized, what have I just done? Because when you ground a child to home, that means somebody needs to be home with the child, <laughs> right. which was me. So I just committed you myself to yourself. prison yes. for a month. And it was the month of December. And it was Christmas. And what have I done? Oh, I thought, what have you done? But the words came out of my mouth, and I was writing books. I had to stick to what I said. But here's what I learned, John. When I said you know, you come home after school, you're grounded. That meant she couldn't play JV basketball for a whole month. Because when I said you're grounded, you're grounded. Now, a lot of parents go, oh, how could you do that to the team? Oh, well, you know what? She's not a, she's an interior designer today. She didn't care about basketball. What seemed so big at the time was very small. Here's the thing. 
the first week we spent all that time together was miserable, miserable, miserable. I had a mad kid and I was unhappy. The second week wasn't so bad. By the third week, we started to get along really well. And by the fourth week, I thought, why in the world have I given her away all these years to all of these coaches to spend this time with her? It, it changed our whole relationship. She's 33 now, and she's like my best friend. I mean, my, do- my adult daughters are my best friends. But what I realized in that is by pulling back, I thought I'd cooked my goose and I thought I'd really ruined my month because I thought this is horrible. But when those words came out and I committed myself and my daughter to be together alone every day after she was done with school, like four o'clock in the afternoon, what I thought was going to be miserable, what I thought was going to totally destroy her relationships with her teammates, they, they didn't, they didn't care. Her relationship with them was fine. They just thought I was the meanest mother in the whole city, so who cares, Yes. Um, for pulling her out. But you know what? So much good came from it. And, and, and I know that parents who are listening aren't going to just do something like that with their kids, but be bold enough to reclaim your kids' time for yourself and start with an hour or two a week. And what you'll find is your relationship with them gets so much better and more fun. You're going to want more and more and more fine, more time. And hopefully you get to the point where before you sign your kids up for X, Y, and Z or three all at once, hopefully you'll stop and go, is this really worth surrendering my time with my kid for? And hopefully you'll start to say, nah, it's really not worth it. And make one of the escapes when they are home these days, at least, and it really has been for the last several decades, is technology. What's your yeah. encouragement around technology to our listeners with kids? Uh, well, first of all, you've got to, parents, and I say this to them, parents have to begin to wean themselves hmm. from, from some of the technology. Because I know that um, a lot of the issues we're seeing now is that kids are feeling ignored by, because parents are on cell phones all the time. Um, even at restaurants, they're texting people, and kids feel all your kids want is your attention. They just want you to look at them. They want you to answer the questions. They want you to talk. And so kids are having a hard time because parents aren't paying attention, and parents are having a hard time because kids aren't paying attention. So one of the things I encourage parents to do, everybody knows it's a problem, um, but say, okay, declare one hour in the evenings as non is electronic free time wherever you have a basket in your kitchen and everybody's electronics go in there between eight and nine o'clock at night or nine and ten o'clock at night or whenever and whenever i tell parents they say yeah but my kid has homework they have to do homework listen to me half the time they're on their computer they're not doing homework they're on they're on facebook or they're on twitter or they're on whatever but if you establish a rule in your home say even three nights a week there's an hour that's electronic free and um, you'll you'll st- and you and you really clamp down on that where everybody's phones and electronics, including mom and dad's, go in there. At first, it's very uncomfortable because parents think, "But what do we do? What do we talk about?" Now we have quiet right. in our home and nobody knows what to say. At first, it's uncomfortable, but then again, you start to realize, "Gee whiz, this is kind of fun. You know, this is kind of neat. We're actually talking to each other here." So. Start to wean yourself down very, very, you know, don't, don't start by saying, okay, no electronics on Saturday at all. If you can, great, but most parents can't do that. Just start to wean yourself very slowly. Everybody in the house doing all the same thing with electronics in the same way so nobody can complain it, and that's what makes it work. 
And Meg, I know your next book is coming out. It's going to be about becoming a hero. I'm uh, yeah. I'm huge into encouraging people to become heroes. They seldom wear capes, as we all know, but I think we are yeah. all invited to be a hero for those around us. What What's one bit of advice you would encourage all of our listeners to grab onto as they seek to grab their capes and, and soar around inspiring others in life? Yeah, yeah. They, they, they need to understand that in their kids, I, in particular, I was, I'm talking about fathers, um, to be the hero your child wants, you know, being the father, the, the strong father your child wants, or your child needs, um, and that's being a hero, hero, being the strong father your child needs, to recognize that you already have the cape. Hmm. Fathers don't realize that you already have the cape. Why? Because your kid has put it on you. You know, you don't need to go out and achieve this or buy this kind of a house or buy a second car, put the pool in the backyard or get a permit. You don't. In your child's eyes, your child so much wants you to be the hero. They've given you that role. Your job is simply maintain. And that's what I mean by shifting the perspective of who you are in your child's eyes. You know, you already are that magnificent in your child's eyes. All you need to do is keep yourself from getting knocked off the platform, you know? And so because you don't feel like that because your idea of a hero is very different from what your, ch- what your child's idea of a hero is. You know, fathers feel like I need to be, um, you know, really great at my job or I need to talk a certain way or I need to make a certain amount of money or I need to whatever it is in order to be a hero to my child. But in a, cheer, in, but in a, in a child's mind, you don't have to do all those things. You already are a hero because what your child wants is a man who tells the truth, a father who's available to him, a father who's engaged, a father who has his kids back, you know, who's, who's going to protect his child. Those are the things that kids are looking for in a hero that, that you may already be doing, but you don't see it. So, you know, again, being a hero is just about getting the big stuff right in your child's eyes and in your child's mind. And, um, and it's well within your grasp because you're, you're, you're already there. So that's really a big message. I love it. Yeah, if I would have asked my, my dad, are you, you know, a hero to me, my dad would have said no. But he was my Absolutely. hero because right. he believed in me. <clears throat> so you've already got the cape. Maybe that's the, the, the title of the book should be. It shouldn't be hero. It should be, Dad, you've already got the cape. Well, it's time for them to put it on. And, and Dr. Meg, I know you have been spending time as the uh, the phone rings, the, the patients are coming and going. Your life is super busy, but we appreciate this time. And as you know, Dr. Meg, we ask all of our guests the same seven questions. We call them the Live Inspired Seven. So we'd like to walk you down the path of these seven questions as we wrap up our time together. Sure. So uh, grab your cape. Here we go. Number one, Meg Meeker, what is the best book you've ever read? Um. Oh, um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the title now. Um, Celebration of Discipline. Celebration of the Disciplines by Richard Foster. Um, it's just a, a fabulous book. It talks about the disciplines of simplicity and solitude, and that's and that, that in the Bible. But Celebration of the Disciplines is my favorite book. Uh, primary takeaway from it. What, what's the real uh, take-home value of, of reading Celebration of the Disciplines? Celebration of Discipline. Simplify and focus on the big stuff. Focus on God. Focus on family. And, and, and just maintain your focus. Take a deep breath. 
calm down, you know, even, and, 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 and I'm in a profession where crises really do occur. Yeah. Um, you know, I've worked in ICUs and, and stuff like that. As a matter of fact, I'm in the hospital now. I apologize for the bell ringing. No, it's okay. Um, but, but, um, but to really take a deep breath and, 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 and settle in and focus on, you know, what's good and true and right and God will direct you, um, and not get sidetracked on all the, the simple foolish stuff because, um, life continues to go on. So that's, that's kind of what my takeaway from that. All right, Dr. Meg, tomorrow you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103, leaving you with millions. What would you do with that money, Meg? Oh my. Um, well, first of all, I would, I would give 99% of it away. And I'll tell you why. I know probably a lot of people say that, but, but my belief in life is that all my needs are met. I don't need more and I, and I have plenty. Hmm. Um, and so, and, and my belief is that by taking all those billions, it would just so complicate my life and it would complicate my kids' lives if I gave it to them. So I would, first of all, give a lot of it away to World Vision, who I love, and I would give a lot of it away to another organization called the Medical Institute for Sexual Health. Um, and I would just find really great places to invest the money because, you know, I, I, I have everything. I, I, I live with, you know, nothing to gain and nothing to lose, hmm. as Ken Davis says. So there's nothing for me to gain by having billions of dollars um, yes. other than misery. <laughs> so I would probably try to get rid of it as quickly as possible because my life is, I have an inordinately blessed life. Um, and I, and I, and I would be tempted to want to pass a bunch of it on to my kids sort of feeling it would make them more secure, but in my mind and my heart, I know it doesn't make them secure. Yeah. So I'd probably just try to get rid of it. What an awesome answer. All right, Meg. Well, uh, number three is this, if your house caught fire, and all living things, those are your kids, your pets, your grandchildren now, mm -hmm. they're already out. Uh, mm -hmm. So everybody, everything is safe. But you have an opportunity, Meg, to run in and grab one item that really mm -hmm. means something to you. <clears throat> what mm -hmm. would you grab? I would grab a photo of my parents because my parents are no longer alive. And I adored my mom and dad. And um, I don't trust my my memory to, to keep a clear mm -hmm. picture of what my parents still look like. I, I, I get a picture of my mother and father, and that's it. Meg, if you yeah. could sit on a bench overlooking a beach, it's a gorgeous day, and you could have a long conversation with anyone, living or dead, who would it be? Jesus. I would love to talk to Jesus. I would love to ask him why. I would love to um I would love to have him clear up some confusion and unanswered questions. I would love to have 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 him explain to me why there's so much pain in the world. Intellectually I can reason it. I understand biblically that God allows pain, right. yada, 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 and that pain, through the pain, we, 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 we come out on the other side, you know, and you know that having amazing blessings, but I'd still want to ask why. And I would also want to tell him, thank you. <laughs> I would just, I would just follow the seat and say, thank you. I, I, I'm not worth sitting with you, but that's the one person I'd, I'd want to talk to for sure. And, and God willing, I will, well, I will be able to talk to him <laughs> one day. Um, because I believe so much in him and, right. and, and the reality of him, but that's what I would. And I do, I have a picture of, 
funny you say that in my um, family room, I have a, a big picture of Jesus sitting on the uh, mountain out, looking out over Jerusalem. And the, the um, look on his face is one of incredible compassion and love and kindness. And I imagine often that I'm sitting in Jerusalem, and he's looking down at me with this compassion and kindness. And so I often feel like I'm in that painting. And Meg, do me a favor, take a picture of that send it to me and we will post that along with your website, your books, oh, links to your social you. media. I, w- I would love for our listeners to see exactly this picture and that face of compassion you're talking about. So when you send I me will. that, I'll make sure I post it in the show notes. Thank you. I would yeah. love, I will definitely do that, John. All right. And three left. What's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, the, um, reduce your expectations, get rid of your expectations because expectations of other people and even of ourselves are what cause us misery. And the more we can accept what, what is, what is and who people are and love them for who they are um, today, the freer we are to just really love. I think that, you know, we talk about unconditional love and parents love to talk about unconditional love and believe that Mm -hmm. that's how we love our children. But the truth of the matter is we all have expectations of our children, of our spouse. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't, um, that we shouldn't encourage people or push people to do better. That's different. We can do that, but we but, but decrease our expectations when it comes to loving other people. Because when we're really at the point where we can, when I can love my husband, even when he's doing, when he, when he makes mistakes with his patients, even when he is home late night after night after night, when I can love him in spite of that, then we're really free. Mm. And that's the best advice I ever got. And Meg, I'm always looking for one takeaway on a, on a show, one great quote that I can really plug in and live throughout the week. And for me, and I've heard a lot of great things, but for me, this is it right here. Reduce your expectations, expectations of ourselves and others. It is what causes, it's what triggers misery. So thanks, misery. thanks for sharing You're that. Welcome. And what would you tell your 20-year-old self, this gal who is about to not make it into med school, what would you tell yourself at age 20? Um, I would say keep, keep focused on God's plan for your life, not your plan for your life, because you're so doggone self-centered. <laughs> and I probably wouldn't listen because I was so stubborn <laughs> at 20. But I would try to say to my 20-year-old self, you know, you're not in charge of your life as much as you think you are. You know, the older you get, the, 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 the more you realize that you know very little and you're in control of very little, um, that really behind you, God is in charge. He's in charge of your kids because guess what? He gives them a personality and he gives mm-hmm. them a path. And we have a little bit to do with the tweaking of it. Um, and, now, and now I just gave everybody a reason not to read my parenting books. Because <laughs> it, no, but, but that we're, we're really in charge of so much less than we think we are. And, and we know so much less than we believe we do. I would say just relax and, and, and really just, it goes back to that celebration. Just, you know, keep your life simple. Spend a lot of time in solitude and meditation and prayer and ask God for direction and then follow that and you're going to do okay. Um, well, and Meg, but, one of the reasons I love your parenting books, and I, feel, I think I've read them all, is most of the advice you give is how we can better parent ourselves. You know, I asked you a question 30 minutes ago. Hey, what? how do you get kids to be on technology less? And your answer was, hey, parents, you get off technology. And exactly. that's generally the way you teach us how to parent, too. 
So I, I do. Be, yeah, because this is, this is my belief. We, we model everything to our kids. Right. We model everything to our kids. And when we become better people, we raise better kids. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's, so, yeah. we'll leave it there with this question, Meg. It's been said that all great people and physicians and parents and grandparents can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you mm-hmm. want your one sentence to read? My sentence, and hopefully on my uh, gravestone, would read, she loved him well. And by him, I mean really two people. The first is God or Christ, and the second is my husband. If if, if after I die, people can look back and and say those things about me, she loved him, both of her hymns, well, then my life has, has, has been good and valuable. And that's what I want every day, because... I want everything that I do to reflect God's love to his people. And the only way that can happen is if, if, if I try to love him well, then all good things will come. And the same with my husband, because I believe that, um, you know, if I love him well, that's honoring God. And I don't mean that in a syrupy, stupid sort of I'm a subservient slave to him. I'm not because, because I'm selfish enough to know, mm-hmm. John, that when I love my husband well, guess what? He loves me better back. And so it's a win-win, but, but that's, 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 that's what makes my heart beat in the morning is I, I want to love God well every day. And it's really just about that. And if I do that, every, all, all good things will come. So pretty simple, really. Uh, very simple and very hard, but so worthwhile. And Dr. Meg Meeker, you are a blessing to Northern Michigan through your podcast all around the world, through your books all around the world, and certainly to me. I, I think you inspire us to be bold enough to put our capes on, the ones that are already tucked in under our shirts. And I I just want to say thank you for not only having a cape, but for being bold enough to wear it and fly around with it each day. Oh, well, thank you. And you inspire me, so you just keep flying too. So I, I really appreciate you and all your great work, John. Well, my friends, for this time and until next time, this is Live Inspired with John O'Leary. That was Meg Meeker, and this is your day. Live Inspired. Well, thanks for joining me today on the Live Inspired podcast, this one with our guest, Meg Meeker. You know, I'm, I'm always looking for one specific takeaway, a quotable, if you want, maybe a tweetable, if you're into that kind of technology, that kind of social media. This might be one for you to write down, though. I know I wrote it down. Here it comes. Reduce your expectations. Expectations of ourselves and others is what causes misery. Now, that may sound counterintuitive. Like, John, I thought we were told and taught to elevate our expectations. And to a degree, absolutely expect great things from yourself and great things from life. But I think so frequently we are disappointed with the service through TSA, airlines, flights, the peanuts they serve us, the dinner they serve us at nighttime, how uncomfortable our bed is, whatever it may be, because it doesn't quite meet up to our expectations. But what if instead we could go after life with our hands and our heart just wide open? And whatever we get, it's enough. Now, that doesn't mean we don't go all in. It doesn't mean we don't pour ourselves into our relationships, into our work, into our spiritual journey. We do. But I don't think we're going to get caught up in the expectations that everybody else might be pursuing. One of the ways, my friends, that we can lead an inspired life is to reduce our expectations the expectations of ourselves and others, is frequently what causes misery. It's a great reminder for Meg Meeker, and I hope it's one you heard loud and clear through this episode today. 
Now, my friends, if you've enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you, please take a few moments to rate this show and review this podcast. This is a quick way that helps us get the word out. Although the show is still just launching, it's climbing the charts, it's touching lives, it's touching tens of thousands of lives through this movement. And yet what we know is there is an opportunity for us to create a movement that touches even more lives. So tell your friends, tell the coworkers that you spend time with each day, tell your family members, the people you worship with, Tell the strangers in the streets about the Live Inspired movement, about John O'Leary and this Live Inspired podcast. Help us inspire a movement of individuals who are waking up from accidental living and living inspired. For this time and until next time, this is John O'Leary and this is your day. Live Inspired.